0: Hi, this is Ananda, president of the Hare Krishna community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday, we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at ISKCONOFDC.org. That's ISKCONOFDC.org.
1: Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. Hare Krishna. Today's topic is sacred plants and trees. And just this morning, just like maybe 30 minutes ago, a big event got concluded. It was a marriage ceremony between Vishnu and Tulsi. So I'm not going to talk about that wedding ceremony Per se, but let's look at it from the uh, viewpoint of the scriptures, what is being talked about and why we are doing what we are doing. Bhagavad Gita starts off with the basic spiritual knowledge. It's like the elementary school level of spiritual knowledge that we are not this body body then who are we? It also answers that. We are spirit souls. And every living being that we see in this creation is a spirit soul with a material body. And Padma Purana gives elaborate description of the material body. There are 8,400,000 types of bodies. How many zeros are there in a million? 8,400,000 types of bodies. And it gives a breakdown. It says the water-based aquatic life forms, 900,000 plants and trees which are non-moving living beings. 2 million in number. Reptiles, 1.1 million. Birds, 1 million. Terrestrial animals, animals that live on the land, 3 million. And human-like forms, 400,000. So total is, 8 million, 400,000. So today we are going to focus on, the trees and plants. but So we just saw a plant being worshipped. So what's going on? In scriptures, as I started out with, it says we, the living beings are all spirit souls. So we recognize and respect every living being as a spirit soul covered in a particular kind of material body. Just because it's spirit soul, we do not go and worship every tree and plant that's in the creation. Then we will be doing what is technically described as pantheism. Because the pantheistic philosophy says everything in the creation is God. So it's worshipable. We are not doing that here. Then why are we worshipping a plant? Tulsi, she is a very elevated devotee of the Supreme Lord. That is the reason we worship her. Anybody who is a great devotee of the Supreme Lord is worshipable not because they have become God, but they are true servants of God. So Tulsi Rani is also a great devotee. And she is present in this world in the form of that plant. There are different types of devotional services that are prescribed for us to follow. Hearing the holy names of the Lord or hearing the glories of the Lord. Chanting the holy names of the Lord or chanting the glories of the Lord. Remembering the Lord. Doing worship of the deity form of the Lord just like we did now. And there is one more item there which is serving the lotus feet of the Lord. So immediately when the sentence serving the lotus feet is mentioned we immediately remember the lotus feet of the Lord which is fine but it doesn't end there serving the lotus feet of the Lord there are multiple other activities that are also included in that who do we normally find at the lotus feet of the Lord Tulsi Maharani. And then, who else? Radharani is right next to Krishna. The devotees, right? The pure devotees, the elevated devotees of the Supreme Lord, are situ- are, they like to park themselves around the lotus feet of the Lord because they know that's where the nectar is. So, when we talk about serving the lotus feet of the Lord, it also means serving the devotees of the Lord. So it could also mean directly serving the lotus feet as well as serving the devotees of the Lord. So in that aspect, Tulsi is a great devotee. River Ganga, Yamuna and all the other devotees of the Lord, they are also to be respected and worshipable. So that is the reason behind we recognize out of how many plants we talked about, there were two million. And we have just selected only one. Because she has that extra qualification of being an exalted devotee of the Supreme Lord. That is why. So, but why, what makes Tulsi so special? Let's see a couple of verses. I will not need the Sanskrit verses to bore you out and put you to sleep. Just the English translation. And we will go further into that. So in Srimad Bhagavatam Canto 3, Chapter 15, the, disc- the title of the chapter is Description of the Kingdom of God. So in that, verse 19 says, it's a beautiful description and there are many different plant names being mentioned just tag along because most of us we are not even aware of although flowering plants like the mandara kunda kurabaka utpala champaka arna punnaga nagakeshara bakula lily and parijata are full of transcendental fragrance they are still conscious of the Austerity is performed by Tulsi. For Tulsi is given special preference by the Lord, who garlands himself with Tulsi leaves. So all these wonderful plants exist in the spiritual world. And they are emitting all these transcendental fragrance. Yet, the Supreme Lord prefers to be garlanded by with the tulsi garland only. So that's his preference, because he is recognizing the exalted nature of that devotee, and says, okay, I will accept your service. And then in another part of the scripture it says, Sri Krishna, who is very affectionate toward his devotees, sells himself to a devotee, who offers him, Merely a tulsi leaf and a palmful of water. What is he doing? Anybody who is offering Krishna a tulsi leaf and just a palmful of water, he says, I'm yours. So he holds tulsi to that high level because of her love and devotion for him. He's, he's ready. If you offer me a Tulsi leaf, I'm yours. Do we say that? If anybody comes and offers us something that we like, we say, okay, I'm all yours from today. No, that's Krishna. Because he knows this person has understood the value of Tulsi and is offering that Tulsi with love and devotion to me. I will accept that and I will become their property Okay, this gives us a legal standpoint from the scriptural point of view and why we are respecting and worshipping Tulsi but when we talk about legal point of view there is always a legal precedent right somebody should have done it or some decision must have been given based on certain sections of the law And that becomes a precedent. So in scriptures also we have precedent. We have other personalities that has come before us in time who are all recognized as great authorities when it comes to bhakti, devotional service, and what they have done. So just a few minutes back I was talking about the different types of devotional service hearing Parikshit Maharaj is just perfected his life just by hearing about the Supreme Lord and then comes Kirtan glorifying the holy names and glories of the Supreme Lord so who spoke Srimad Bhagavatam Sri Sukadeva Goswami so he perfected his life just by speaking the glories of the Lord So like that, each and every type of devotional activity has one exalted devotee who perfected their life just by doing that one task with perfection. But there is one devotee who is a king. His name is Ambarish. He performed all these activities and perfected his life. Imagine doing all the devotional activities perfectly and perfecting your life. He is that kind of an exalted devotee. So a description is given in the ninth cant of Srimad Bhagavatam. What, what are all the different ways he engaged in serving and remembering the Supreme Lord. And there is one key line that is applicable to us for our discussion today. King Ambarish always engaged his mind in meditating upon the lotus feet of Krishna. His words in describing the glories of the Lord. His hands in cleansing the Lord's temple. Because many times we think that getting onto the altar and doing stuff there is devotional service and cleaning the temple is for less elevated people to do. Krishna doesn't see it like that. Krishna sees all the tasks that are being done for him in the temple to be the same. His hands were used in cleansing the Lord's temple and his ears in hearing the words spoken by Krishna or about Krishna. He engaged his eyes in seeing the deity of Krishna and going to Krishna's temples and various places where Krishna's pastimes happened like Mathura and Vrindavan. He engaged his sense of touch in touching the bodies of the Lord's devotees as a service. He engaged his sense of smell in smelling the fragrance of tulsi offered to the Lord. And he engaged his tongue in tasting food that was offered to the Supreme Lord. He engaged his legs in walking to the holy places and temples of the Lord, his head in bowing down before the Lord. So here we see that King Ambarish was engaging his sense of smell by smelling the tulsi leaves that are offered to the Supreme Lord. So in this connection I would also like to narrate a small story from Srimad Bhagavatam to just amplify the glories of smelling the tulsi leaf. The first created being in the material universe is Lord Brahma according to our scriptures. And through Brahma came four highly elevated souls. They became the direct sons of Brahma. It was not like a man male-female combination producing children. Just through the mind of Brahma, they come. And they are manifested in this creation. Right from their birth, they were not interested in any of the materialistic activities. They were Brahman realized. Srimad Bhagavatam says, the Supreme Lord can be perceived in three different ways. One as a formless feature, which is called the Brahman. Then, second is the Paramatma or the Super Soul realization. And the third is called the Bhagavan feature, which is God as a person with a form. So, Srimad Bhagavatam says God has unlimited spiritual forms and he also has a formless feature. But the Bhakti tradition puts emphasis on the personal form of the Lord because that is more sweet and, more, and it's also complete so these four children of Brahma they were very highly elevated in their levels of consciousness and they have realized the Brahman stage the formless feature of God and they were thinking that's the ultimate reality and they did not e- even want to have an adult body They were just roaming around like a five-year-old, seven-year-old kid-like form. Because they did not want all those teenage anxieties and all those challenges. They said, too much. We just want to be absorbed in that Brahman realization. Because that's the ultimate. So one time what happened, they were roaming around in different parts of the universe. And they came to the gates of Vaikuntha. Where... Lord Vishnu resides they were smelling an amazing fragrance coming from somewhere it just captivated their mind and consciousness and they were saying what is there what there could be in this material world that could be so captivating so attracting we thought like attaining that Brahman realization state is ultimate and there is nothing beyond that and what is this? So they started following the trail of the scent <laughs> and then ultimately they found Lord Vishnu and there were he was garlanded with Tulsi and his lotus feet also was decorated with Tulsi and the fragrance coming from those Tulsis just captivated their mind and said wow, there is something more to spirituality than just attaining Brahman realization. So all along we have been thinking that this is the ultimate, but there is something more. So then they wanted to know more about it and then they started practicing devotional service, bhakti to the Supreme Lord. So that shows the glory of Tulsi. Because even a person who was so And in this case, persons, four people. They were so sure that formless feature is the ultimate thing. But even their consciousness was induced by the fragrance of Tulsi. So that's her glory. So, So far we talked about Tulsi, right? But there are some other references to trees in our scripture. In chapter 15 of Bhagavad Gita, Krishna is describing this material world as a tree. So I will read those two verses and we will have some more discussion on that. So chapter 15, text 1 and 2. The Supreme Personality of God had said, It is said that there is an imperishable banyan tree that has its roots upward and its branches down and whose leaves are the Vedic hymns. One who knows this tree is the knower of the Vedas. Text 2. The branches of this tree extend downward and upward. Nourished by the three modes of material nature. The twigs are the objects of the senses. This tree also has roots going down and these are bound to the fruitive actions of human society. How many of us have seen a banyan tree? How long they get to live? Thousands of years. And what is the speciality of a Banyan tree. Because they have lots of branches growing, and the roots also start growing from those branches. And once they come into contact with earth, it also, over a period of time, they also become huge trunks. And after thousands of years, we cannot see and say which is the main trunk and which were the branches. Like it's growing all over the place, and it's huge, It, it can cover a huge space of area, right? So Krishna is comparing this material world to that banyan tree just to help us understand how everything is so complicatedly related and a living being that comes into contact with the material world and gets entangled it becomes very difficult to break free. So that's why he said but he uses a unique way of describing it. He says, the roots are growing up. Where do we see such a tree where the roots are growing up? Only when people are like standing upside down. Uh, We can see a reflection of a tree on a pool of water. A tree with its branches and leaves and the roots when we see that reflection on the pool of water what do we see the tree is at the t- the root is at the top and the tree is at the bottom so krishna is saying this material world is just like a reflection of the real spiritual world so the tree is getting reflected on water and the reflection is seen on the water similarly the spiritual world is getting reflected on the desires of the living beings and is getting is shown as the material world so the material world is in existence because of our desires of desires to enjoy independently without God because Prabhupada used to make a statement like normally we hear kingdom of God but we are all ignorant That we want the kingdom of God without God. So, that is the cause of the material world to exist because we have the desires to have sense enjoyment without God in the picture. Okay, given this, Krishna also gives a solution on how to get out of this entanglement. He says by detachment. We have to cut down the branches of this tree and get free. So I'll tell a small story. There was a guru, a spiritual teacher. And he had lots of students. And one of the students went to him, the guru, and said, I have lots of attachments. It's not going away. Because here Krishna is saying, right? Detachment is the thing, but at my attachments are not going away. Can you please help me? The guru thinks for some time and says, Tomorrow morning, come to this area and he gives a forest. Then I will explain it to you. So the disciple is so happy. Wow! I am going to get the most confidential knowledge from my spiritual teacher. So he is waiting for the next day to come. And next day comes, he goes to the forest and he is looking for his guru. He couldn't find him anywhere. So, did my guru forget? But he doesn't normally forget these things. What's going on? Then suddenly he hears the voice of his spiritual teacher saying, Please help me please help me. Oh, my guru is in danger. I have to go and help him. So he follows the sound and he goes to that spot where the voice is coming from and he sees the spiritual teacher there. Oh, he's like he's having a big struggle with a tree. And the, the student rushes to him and says, what's going on? This tree is not letting go of me. It's like pulling me in. So the student walks around and says tree is not doing anything but you are clinging to the tree and you are saying like the tree is huggy, getting got hold of you and it's not allowing you free then the guru smiles and leaves and says that's what you are doing in the material world with your attachments you are clinging to your attachments not the attachment is taking hold of you so if you want to really get free, what you should do? You should let go. Then the student understood, wow, this is the meaning of detachment. So that's the detachment that Krishna is talking about. So as practitioners of devotional service, we are aware of this knowledge, but at the same time we feel that we, our attachments are not allowing us to be free that's what we think but in reality we are just clinging on to those attachments right and there was one other term that was used by Krishna in that text too he says this tree of material world is nourished by the three modes of material nature The three modes are the mode of goodness, the mode of passion, the mode of ignorance. Anything that we do in this material world is influenced by one of these three modes or a combination of these three modes. So that is what is nourishing it. But how to get out because devotional service is not only getting detached from material activities but rather getting attached to spiritual activities or devotional activities to the Supreme Lord and making sure while we are performing those devotional activities we are not still holding on to the attachments as we were seeing in that example of that Guru. So the responsibility is on us to make sure that we are performing devotional activities that's pleasing to the Supreme Lord at the same time making sure that we are not just clinging on to our desires and attachments. It's a work in progress. We all need help. We all need guidance on how properly to do that. I will conclude with one more reference to a tree from our scriptures. If you see on the other side of the wall to your back there for those who are facing me here we have various pastimes of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. According to our scriptures He is non-different from Krishna. He is a He is Krishna himself in a different form. He gave a very valuable instruction for everybody that is wanting to practice devotional service in the modern times. One of the key activities that we do in devotional service is chanting the holy names of the Lord. So he says, it's a very famous verse, Trinadapi sunichena tarorapi Sahishnuna. Trina is a grass. We also have lots of grass in our property, right? Do we even notice that? We just step on it, sit on it, do whatever we can do. It's if that grass can talk and go to a court, it will say it's been heavily abused. (laughs) Right? But it doesn't complain. So, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says, one should be more humbler than a grass. Just take a minute and do a reflection. You don't need to share. You can share it with Krishna, directly if you want to. How humble are we? 20 seconds. Okay, time's up. So anybody will say that I am the most humblest person in the world? (laughs) After that one minute of reflection, I found that I am the most humblest person. when we make such a statement then it shows that we are not humble right but Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is giving an instruction just look at the grass how humble it is a person who is wanting to chant the holy names of the Lord in the proper way should be more humbler than the grass but I speaking for myself I would say I am the opposite of the grass I think I am the greatest gift to this creation and I just walk around like that and interact with others like that that's nonsense When, when a person has that kind of a conception about himself or herself they cannot relish chanting and hearing the holy names of the Lord as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu did and then the second line he says one should be more tolerant than a tree in the name of landscaping and beautifying what do human beings do to the trees? they don't even care whether they are maiming the tree it's jutting in the way we came into the tree's way and now we say the tree is in our way And then we don't even think twice. Oh, just chop it off. That poor thing just stands there and accepts it. And still continues to do whatever the tree is supposed to do. Tolerance. We have this policy of zero tolerance in corporates and organizations. When it comes to our personal life also we have zero tolerance. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is saying look at the tree and learn the quality of tolerance. Humility from grass tolerance from trees. Try to practice humility and tolerance every day for us to relish and chant the holy names of the Lord in the most proper way, which is pleasing to the Supreme Lord then. That's the instruction after. He says, take this verse, "Trinada Pi and string it as a necklace, and wear it around your neck. We can also print out as stickers, and put it on our forehead, and all over the walls and mirrors in our home so that it keeps reminding us the value of humility and tolerance so we were talking about the sacred tree and plant at the same time there are also references to trees and plants in our scriptures connected to Krishna that talks about this most important principles of living a human life. So I'll stop here and see if there is any comments, thoughts, discussions.
0: Prabhu, speaking about attachment, is it, is it appropriate to make a distinction between attachment towards uh, like devices like mobile phone or car Mm-hmm. because we have attachment towards them as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And let's say our car gets stolen.
1: I thought it was more than attachments. Our life is invested in those devices. Correct. Like we hear in fairy tales. Correct. If it's taken away, then our life is gone. Correct. And
0: uh, I mean, it it certainly seems possible to withdraw ourselves from the misery of such a such a thing we can still... It is humanly possible. What I wanted to uh, do was to have a distinction between attachment towards objects and attachment towards human beings, like our father, mother, mm-hmm. sister, brother, wife, and uh, uh, because when you say detachment towards human beings, uh, I am afraid in in one sense that
1: we'll it become inhuman in our dealings with them.
0: It, it should come in the way of, uh, I mean, it should not be perceived as adharma or lack of your doing your duties.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: One, it is the most important to do your duties. You could die while doing your duties, that is okay. But you should never not do your duties. Mm-hmm. So could you please yeah, sure. put it in perspective?
1: Yeah, sure. Thank you for that thoughtful question, first of all so you, what you are saying is it is easier to get detached from objects rather than people right in one sense let's first understand who we have as friends and relatives i think it this person is my father This person is my mother, this person is my sibling, this person is my spouse, and this person is my child, based upon my body. Even when I am looking at them, I am not ready to look at them that they are also spirit souls, they are also part and parcel of the Supreme Lord, Krishna. Right? My conception is, oh, this is my father, this is my mother. All those identifications come from material body. So, the proper way of then looking at them is, yes, they are serving a role of being my father, being my mother, being my sibling, being my spouse, being my child. But ultimately they belong to? That's detachment too. Attachment is thinking that they are mine. But the proper way of detachment is seeing they are attached to Krishna, so they belong to Krishna. They have been given on loan to me. So when I see them as spirit souls, part and parcel of Krishna, I will still extend my care, love and affection to them in the proper way. And still say, stay detached. I am not claiming they are mine. So when we have that conception, then it becomes easy to move forward and not get entangled. Otherwise, it's, it becomes a kind of a dry renunciation. Oh, I don't even want to speak with them because if I speak with them, I will get attached to them and I will get entangled. There is a school of thought that is being practiced like that. It's like grinding your teeth and tolerating detachment. That's not going to work. It's like torture on yourself and it's torturing your loved ones. So, But when we have this proper conception to whom they belong, then we will like to do everything that needs to be done in that relationship with them, properly. So I hope that answers your question.
3: Prabhu, very deep, very deep talk, thank you. I have a comment. Um, the idea of the grass, be as humble as the grass. And to me, humbleness is a deep thing in itself. It also requires gratitude and -hmm. respect, which you didn't, you inferred, or Krishna inferred. So the grass holds us, holds the floods. We don't have grass, we get washed away. This temple, we get washed away. Mm -hmm. And similarly, the trees, when we cut the trees down, we cut all the oxygen, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't breathe, and all the food for the animals. Yep. And the grass, the cows eat the grass. Yep. So this banyan tree that you, it's so complicated and it's all interconnected. The roots go up, they go down. But without this respect, like, I cut the trees down, I'm going to kill myself, which we're doing. Or we cut the grass, cows will die. And we don't have the milk. Mm-hmm. So this deep interconnectedness of being detached but... Humbleness requires respect and gratitude. Without gratitude, you can't be humble. It's just an arrogance, BS, walk out and I'm this, right? So that's it's it's really beautiful. I just wanted to, my mind just started popping out. I just wanted to.
1: No, thank you. Thank you for bringing those two important points. Respect is the key for any interactions, any relationship, and gratitude. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much. Um, can you give us some uh, practical steps as to how to practice humility, let's say, in a, in a competitive situation? Let's say, like, in the work environment where people don't respect humility. And if you actually exhibit humility, people will abuse you mm-hmm. and offend you very, very quickly. Um, How would you recommend that we go about uh, practicing humility in that kind of situation?
1: Okay. Um, In a competitive situation, especially at work, how can we practice humility? When we are at our workplace, we have a proper duty to do there. So we should do that appropriately. Because I will give you an example of what happened in the case of Arjuna. Arjuna was feeling, oh, I have compassion, I am a devotee. They are not thinking like that, but I am thinking like that, so I will not fight this battle. I will check out and go, the, go live the life of a beggar. Krishna was looking at him and said, are you out of your mind? You are supposed to do your duty. You you are a Kshatriya. Your duty is to fight for the right, for the rightful thing to be done. Not because that kingdom belongs to you, but it's a rightful thing to be done. So, as practicing devotees, when we go into a workplace, we will find people with different levels of consciousness who come out with that competitive spirit oh, I'll, I'll just be meek and humble, then I will not be doing my work properly. But when I am doing the work, my consciousness should not be, I am doing this because I want to prove myself to others that I am great. I just go in. I don't need to broadcast my thoughts, my humility, but internally my contemplation should be, I am doing this thing so that I will do it in a way that is pleasing to Krishna and my spiritual master. So in that mood, I will not be behaving in that same competitive, mean spirit like the others are doing, but at the same time, I want to get the task done in the proper manner, not because I want to be seen as better than all the others, but it is my offering to the Supreme Lord for His pleasure. That is a, a deep state to be in. For that to happen, we need guidance in our life. Oh, such a situation is happening. Oh, I am not yet in that state to practice it. My spiritual teacher will advise, if that situation is ongoing, You might want to consider switching to a different team in that same organization. Or if that's not possible, switch over to a different organization. Because Obviously there will be competition, but some places will be really mean. But there are other places where we can still survive in my neophyte state. Until my consciousness deepens where I can meet those mean-spirited competition, at the same time not get attached, claiming ownership over the results of the action I did. So that that requires guidance.
3: So Prabhu, my question was uh, something more related to what that Prabhu asked. Um, outside in the material world, Which it could Prabhu be- Prabhu asked?
1: The, the Prabhu the, the, who just
3: asked. Uh, Outside in the material world, we could have a family member or a friend or a relative or within the family, if somebody is envious of you and abuses you. How do you um, practice humility and tolerance at the same time, um, uh, in in situations like that and don't become mean? Uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) See, one thing we have to understand is, what's happening to our, to us in our life is because it's a boomerang that is coming back that I let it out before. So if somebody else is being mean and vicious to me, I had been mean and vicious to somebody else in the past. Now the boomerang is coming back to me, I feel what the other person would have felt when I was mean and vicious to them. Because I did not even recognize or register that at that point of time and everything is cool in this world but the person who was impacted by me Felt it. Now the boomerang is coming back, it's payback time. Now we are saying, oh, these people are being mean and vicious. So, tolerance comes into play there. Understanding that behind this situation in my life is Krishna's hand. He wants me to learn something or rectify something in my life or in my consciousness. So what can I do? Now I feel how how impactful it is for me. So let me try not being mean and vicious in my interactions with others, going forward, starting now. So the way I am going to interact with others from now is going to shift. When that shifts, it's going to come back again too. So people are going to be nice and good to me. Then it feels the world is a rosy place. So these different situations are there and Krishna's hand is behind that not because he is wanting to torture us and say "Okay, get this payback he wants us to learn and improve ourselves so we should see that as an opportunity to grow and again as I was answering to Prabhu's question we cannot do it alone We need the strength and support of all the devotees and also the guidance to do that. Otherwise, we will be going off on a different tangent and we are wandering somewhere else. Right? I wouldn't say exactly, but it, it it plays one important factor in that, the past karma, because the way I interact with others, it's going to come back to me. As simple as that. So let me be kind, caring and compassionate to others. Others will start being kind, caring and compassionate to me down the line. Because that's the way this world works. Every action has a reaction. Whether we want a good reaction or a bad reaction is in our hands. There was one gentleman here.
0: Okay, I had one simple question. Is... Uh why are there obstacles if you're trying to perform the duty?
1: Why are there obstacles when they when we are? Trying yeah, to obstacles
0: form? or obstructions. You know, you know that you're doing the right thing. That mm-hmm. is what's supposed to be done. Uh, but still, you know, you keep feeling, uh, you keep getting the obstacles on the way. It's it's not any you know a smooth path most of the times. Mm-hmm. Why yeah. would that be? Why would something be preventing you from doing the right thing, right or doing the duty?
1: Yeah, because it's a test. It also could be a test. The test could be to see whether I am giving up easily or whether I am still persevering and continuing forward. Particularly when we are talking about going back to Krishna and Krishna's world, Krishna's energy, the material energy, Maya, is going to put lots of obstacles and lots of tests to see Whether I really have a deep desire to go back and be with Krishna. Sometimes the obstacles come, oh, I will forget it. For example, let's talk about getting early in the morning at 4.30. Oh, it's too much. But there are people who says, no matter what, whether it is snowing or whether it is harsh winter, I will get up at 3.30, take my bath and come for Mangalarthi at 4.30. The obstacles might be there, but how we are responding to those obstacles. Whether we are still progressing despite those obstacles or we are giving up. Right? So it's a test for our commitment. It's a test for our willingness to keep going despite the Obstacles and Krishna is noticing all that as super soul in our heart. He knows all our thoughts, all our activities. So he is saying, "Oh, let me see how determined he is." Why devotees have to be put through the test? Why devotees have to be put through the test? Because Krishna is showing how great his devotees are. He is showing. See, Pandavas. They did not do anything harmful to anybody even in their thoughts. But they were having like sufferings and miseries for breakfast, lunch and dinner and it was continuing every day like that. If anybody else was in that position they would have said, shucks, forget it. Let me do some other program, this is not working out for me. But they never gave up. And Bhishma when he was lying on his deathbed he says you pure souls had no reason for to suffer yet you are so glorious devotees you just had the protection of Krishna all the time and you are glorified as great devotees of Krishna so everybody even today talks about them as great devotees so Krishna also wants to glorify and the way he glorifies he knows who can handle what and he puts them in those situations and say, "Okay, see, look at my devotee. He or she has faced all those challenges. That, that's my devotee." Anutam Prabhu had.
2: Just a brief comment, um, in to just add to your answer about um, the, the lady asked about some nights before the. Find ourselves suffering as like a victim of abuse or harm from others. The general principle you gave was spot on. We should understand that it. it's I must have done something in the past or etc. Mm-hmm. like that. At the same time I just want to add, because sometimes that can be misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that because I'm a Vaishnava that I tolerate unlimited amounts of abuse or that we don't see sometimes people in abusive situations, there needs to be some kind of intervention. Yep. You know, we see that with spousal abuse, we see yeah. that with child abuse, we see that with <laughs> yep, poli- yep. May- may- maybe political abuse, but Prac- we won't go practical there.
1: Practical things have to be taken care yeah, kind
2: of. Yeah, that, that's so, We just want to make that clear. Sometimes, and that's why in a community, sometimes we need professional help, sometimes we need counseling help, sometimes we need spiritual guidance. But it's not that we turn our face if we see someone suffering and we think, oh, it must be their karma. But as a Vaishnava understand, as you pointed out nicely, ultimately everyone's pure spiritual being. If someone's suffering, let me try to relieve that suffering. Mm. If I'm suffering some, I should take a humble position and tolerate and learn from it. But at the same time, there are situations where it crosses the line and that's not acceptable. Even the Pandavas tolerated again and again and again and again and again. And finally, at one point, Krishna said it's time to act. So we just have to keep that. Now, if we act too quickly, because we're prideful and we don't, we're not a little tolerant well that also can be a big offense or sin but there are times when you know someone may be in an abusive situation you need help and you need to get out
1: thank you Prabhu thank you for that important clarification yes it's important to to do the practical steps to get us out of that dangerous situation we find ourselves in and then the other things fall into place the contemplation and so on So it's five minutes after two, so we'll stop here. Thank you all very much.